Welcome to Sanity, a podcast to help you keep yours in today's divisive political climate. I'm your host, Audrey Scagnelli, and I hope you'll join me in this quest for optimism in a post-2016 world. I'm currently sitting with Katie Fahey in her hotel room in Boston, <laughs> Massachusetts, and I am so excited for Sanity's listeners to hear her story. She is the perfect example of one frustrated person that made meaningful, lasting change happen in a nonpartisan way. Two days after the 2016 election, she wrote something on her Facebook page. She wrote, I'd like to take on gerrymandering in Michigan. If you're interested in doing this as well, please let me know. So after she wrote that, her entire life changed probably forever. And on this episode of Sanity, she's going to tell us about the crazy journey that happened after she hit post. So hi, Katie. Welcome to Sanity. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Why did you write it? And then what happened next? Because it really is almost a made-for-TV kind of story. So the reason I wrote it is kind of embarrassing. I was afraid to go to Thanksgiving dinner. I had a really polarized family during the election, and I was really excited by that, actually, though. I was somebody who's always voted, who slightly paid attention to politics, although my background was actually in sustainable business, so the environment and social business. But during the 2016 election, I saw a lot of friends and family who normally aren't engaged. I'm not even sure that they regularly vote standing in line to see candidates for like four hours at a time. And that was mostly because of Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. It was really exciting because I went to a birthday party and I overheard my family and friends talking about the differences between Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump's healthcare and childcare policies. And I was like, you guys looked up their policies? Like people that I normally am like begging to talk about that stuff with. But right after the election, actually trying to listen to each other, talk about policy differences was gone. Everybody kind of turned into either like super elated with the results or super despaired. I didn't want to wait another four years before my friends and family would keep paying attention to politics. So I tried to think about what did those two political figures have in common, and I think it was their core messages, drain the swamp and the political revolution. To me, both of those were like not the status quo. And because I paid attention to politics, I think that appealed to me a little less because I kind of thought that like one person can make a difference, but they can't really fix a lot of the things we're really frustrated with, with politics, because there's systemic reasons that we have politics that isn't being responsive to the will and want of the people. One of those examples was gerrymandering. I remember learning about it in like fifth grade and then in high school and then in college. And it always bothered me when I was thinking about, okay, is there one way that I think we could talk about politics still, but not make it about candidates? Maybe we could talk about this systemic reform because I think my friends and family who were mobilized by the election would like systemic reform, but maybe they just don't know about it. And I'm like totally not expecting to actually end up amending the Constitution way. I made the Facebook post before I went to work in an attempt to say, hey, maybe we could all get along over actually fixing the system. It went viral. Mm -hmm. How did it go viral? Because this story has a really cool ending and it's very David and Goliath but it started with this Facebook post. So, you know, I go to work and kind of forget about it, but I come home from work and 
I hop on Facebook and I see that I have a bunch of messages in my inbox from complete strangers being like, tell me how I can help. What's the plan? What am I going to do? People had started sharing the post in some of the private Facebook groups that had opened up around the election to talk about politics and that a lot of people in those groups were really looking for something to do and were really energized, mobilized after the election. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know who these people are. I don't know how to stay in contact with them. So I made a Facebook group. It had the very catchy name of Michiganders for Nonpartisan Redistricting Reform. The acronym would be like MNIPFER or something. I'm not the marketing person. <laughs> but if you're gonna join, you had to be representing yourself. Politicians or lobbyists or even other special interest groups already have their way of influencing politics. And I just wanted people there representing their own personal interests. You had to be there fighting for a solution that was going to be fair for any voter regardless of how they voted. Whether they're Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever. We We wanted to create a solution that was just good for voters. And the third was a basic pledge to respect and action. The internet post Donald Trump's election win was really ugly. There's just like a lot of name calling and all that. And I felt like there's everywhere else on the internet where you can go and argue about politics. But here we can still have thoughtful debate, but we're going to be again focused on actually doing something about all these strong feelings we have. You then looked at the system of, okay, what does it take to actually make a constitutional change in Michigan to tackle gerrymandering? And you realized you had to gather hundreds, thousands of signatures. So can you talk a little bit about how the heck you, in 110 days, collected a tremendous amount of signatures with thousands of volunteers that were completely unpaid and there on their own time? In Michigan, we thankfully have the ballot initiative process that citizens can enact, which means that you can write constitutional language and then gather a bunch of signatures. For our requirement, it was 315,654 registered Michigan voter signatures that we had to collect. When we were writing the constitutional language, we didn't want it to just be those of us who happened to have found the Facebook post and who were working together. We really wanted to craft something for and by the people of the state. We knew that if we put this in the constitution, it was going to not only impact like the next election, but decades and decades of elections after that. That means that it should be crafted with a lot of intention for everybody. So we did these town halls. We ended up doing 33 and 33 days where we went across our state. We went to each congressional district at least twice. And we talked to people about what is redistricting and gerrymandering? What does it look like in Michigan? What does it look like in states where politicians don't draw the lines? And then the coolest part was we had a survey that a political scientist had designed based on the policy elements of actually doing something about gerrymandering. To really address gerrymandering, if you're using an independent commission, you need to figure out three main parts. Or who are going to draw the lines? So if you don't like politicians picking their own voters, which a lot of people don't, who is going to actually be that person or that method? The second part is what is the criteria that's going to be used? How do you define representation? Does that mean, you know, Democrats and Republicans? Should it take into account existing city boundaries? The last is how do we actually want the system to look? Do people want to be a part of that process? What does that look like? To our surprise, thousands of people started showing up at these. And we were like a Facebook group. Nobody knew who we were, but as part of our press announcement, we let people know. And then we wrote a letter to every mayor and township supervisor of a city over 3,000 in Michigan. Not sure it was super effective, but saying, hey, we're going to be asking your community for their input on 
this constitutional amendment that we're proposing. So if you could let people know, that'd be great. Um, which looking back is just so funny to me. But what was really cool is we had thousands of people starting to show up all across Michigan. And we started hearing all these stories from people about how they've never even seen their representative, let alone even their representative's campaign for office because they live in these maybe really rural, especially parts of Michigan. And a lot of people didn't feel like they ever had a voice. So by taking the time to actually go and meet people where they're at and ask their opinion and have that guide our policy, as well as best practices, making sure everything was legally okay. Me, Katie Fahey, did not design our system. It was thousands of us from across the state. People then understood their role. We talked about how many signatures would be required. We broke it down and said, you know, if we can get this many volunteers to gather seven signatures a week for 15 weeks, then we can actually do this. And if we can, you know, have this many people donate this many dollars in this amount of time, then we can actually print the petitions. Because even printing a petition is like $40,000. So there are a lot of barriers there. But I think because we actually took the time to authentically engage, we laid a really strong groundwork for a lot of people to be interested in it. We actually trained over 5,000 people on how to gather signatures. Um, we had just under 4,000 who ended up gathering these signatures, but we were innovative in Northern Michigan. Our volunteers were saying that it was really important. We were at the tractor pull contest and we're like, okay, we're going to the tractor pull contest then. Down in Detroit, we had to be at the jazz music festival or in Ann Arbor, we needed to go to the art fair. This is just kind of funny, but we figured out what rest stops were busiest in Michigan because that's technically like public property. So you can gather signatures there. and we we had hundreds of people on the day before Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving and the day after, standing at like the busiest rest stops across Michigan to gather signatures. And we, we had goals that we broke down and we made it achievable. And that was really important for people to understand their contribution and how that would lead to actually being able to do this really large job of gathering hundreds of thousands of signatures. And ultimately, we did it on time and under budget because we didn't pay anybody to gather the signatures. In Michigan, the requirement is 180 days is the max you have to gather them and ended up only taking us 110 days and we gathered over 425,000 signatures when the requirement was 300,000. It was really just so inspiring to see how many people were willing to go and talk to their friends, their neighbors, stand out on a corner and talk about gerrymandering. We'd have our clipboard and ask, you know, are you happy with the state of politics? And surprise, surprise, nobody is. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Congress approval rating. One thing that is kind of unique about you, Katie, is you you meet people and you try to figure out what is their skill set, what can they contribute. So can you talk a little bit about how you identified some of the skills from volunteers and people that heard about this Facebook group and then started going to these town halls? Yeah, when we first started, a lot of the people who were signing up to volunteer kept messaging me on Facebook and saying, you know, I don't really know if I should be a part of this group because I've never done anything like this before. And it kind of broke my heart because I was like, well, I haven't either. Does that mean I should like that be here? But more so that, you know, our state constitution says we have the right to petition our government. And I think it was especially designed for things like gerrymandering, where it's not in a politician's best interest to give themselves less power. And they probably aren't going to self-correct it. And in Michigan, there's a really long history of them refusing to self-correct it. For people to feel like somehow they don't have enough expertise to actually participate in something that absolutely needs their participation was really eye-opening. So I kind of made it my personal mission to make sure that every volunteer could have a meaningful role in our campaign, especially if they wanted one. We'd do a skills inventory of people when they were first signing up to volunteer. It's probably like the most complicated, not best practices way to have a sign up to volunteer form. It was like 30 questions. Be like, what committee do you want to join? So if you said policy committee, we'd be like, okay, do you have a legal background? If you said no, then we'd be like, 
do you know how to do research? Yeah, okay, what kind of research have you done? But what that ended up doing was us having like a really detailed profile on every single person who's volunteering with us so that when we could look at all the things that had to be done in the campaign, we could line up those skills that people are already comfortable with because they were coming from their day jobs most likely or you know a hobby that they already had. And we could then show that their work with democracy could use those skills. So, you know, people with financial skills helped us set up our fundraising program, or we had a lot of teachers who, or retired teachers who were volunteering, and we really needed to go and learn how to talk about gerrymandering. Like, how do you get the general people who are super busy of going about their day-to-day -day lives to stop and want to talk about this topic? I've heard you mention in the past that one person, when they filled out this form, said that they had a skill set with woodworking. Yes. And what did, what did you do with that skill? It was so great. So Rebecca, I was talking to her and she's one of the people who was like, you know, I just don't know what I want to do. And like, I don't think I should be here. And I was like, well, do you have a hobby or anything? And she said, well, you know, I do wood carving. And I was like, okay, let's figure that one out. And at first we tried to actually carve districts out of wood, really large ones that we can maybe bring to fairs, but our districts are so gerrymandered in Michigan. None of the wood sculptures would stay standing. They, so it was like a liability that they'd crush children potentially. Um, but then we actually led to figuring out how to like cut out district costumes for people to wear. But then when uh, we were faced with the problem of needing clipboards for everybody, we needed a custom sized clipboard and they would have cost about $9 a piece in bulk. And knowing that we had a wood carver, we ended up saying, you know, is there a way that we could design our own clipboards? And we, it turned out that we had about three wood carvers who then figured out, okay, yeah, let's figure out how we can cut our own clipboards. They basically help set up wedding registries, except we call them like democracy registries at home. Home Depots and Lowe's stores across the state so people could reserve sheets of masonite wood to donate to the campaign because we figured out how to cut our own clipboards. Then they went and found warehouses to actually cut these clipboards like after hours. And so we ended up, you know, at this time, we're still all only meeting on the internet, having a bunch of people who've never met in person, a bunch of strangers meeting in these factories to go cut a bunch of clipboards in the middle of the night and they end up cutting over 6,000 clipboards for about 10 cents each. So then we had these really professional looking clipboards for everybody, no matter who they were, to come participate in our campaign. Because we actually took the time to think about them, we figured out like, oh, we want a local map of the district on each clipboard. It ended up becoming this great tool that it made us all really effective, but we would have probably never even dreamed of doing that if we weren't trying trying to find a really good place for some woodcarvers. I was a Girl Scout in the motto <laughs> of the Girl Scouts. I'm guessing, I, I feel like you must have been a Girl Scout. I totally was a Girl Scout. You used resources wisely. It was drilled into me growing up. And man, you've embodied that face. That's pretty cool. That's really very cool. Yeah, and it led to other cool things too. I mean, even when we were writing policy, we had a veterinarian and a brain surgeon who were like, I want to volunteer, but I can volunteer from like 4 a.m. till 7 a.m. And I was like, okay, you guys clearly both did a lot of school. Would you mind doing some legal research for us? Our veterinarian actually ended up leading our policy committee. Working in this space, there's a lot of organizations that you know, maybe come across or, or present themselves as nonpartisan, but you dig a little deeper and it turns out that's not really the case. And right after the election especially, emotions were so high. And we've seen with some of our other guests on Sanity, positive things people have done 
kind of in the aftermath of the election. Some who were Republican, some who were Democrat, but all who were worried about what the election had done in terms of neighbor versus neighbor and family member versus family member. And so you were a Hillary Clinton supporter and mm -hmm. your family, your parents voted for Donald Trump. I have a two-part question. The first is, can you talk a little bit about some of the volunteers that got to know each other that came from different walks of life? And two, you know, gerrymandering is something that we see as an issue in, in states across the country. And in some states, the party in power is the Democrat Party. In some states, the party in power is the Republican Party. So in the state of Michigan, the party in power it was the Republican Party. And so in Michigan, gerrymandering was advantageous to Republicans. So some people have said that this campaign, therefore, was a you know, liberal Mm -hmm. agenda type campaign and you did have Democrats donate and support the campaign but you also had Republicans donate and support the campaign so I'd love for you to speak to that kind of bigger issue in terms of you know how you've responded to some some negative reaction to some of your work what was really interesting about Michigan especially when we looked at the history of gerrymandering in Michigan is Democrats and Republicans have both gerrymandered the state we're like a truly purple state on average about 50% of the voters vote Democrat and 50% of the voters vote Republican like for the last 70 years but based on what party is in charge obviously our districts are like way out of line with what that is and what's really interesting to me is if we actually had representation that was 50 50 every single thing we'd try and pass would require compromise or literally neither side could pass it which is kind of like a weird concept to think about right now but also when we were doing our research what we saw is that when democrats were in charge then republicans were introducing legislation to change gerrymandering and when republicans were in charge then democrats were and it just all still seemed like we were looking at voters as if they are game pieces instead of real people who are impacted by the decisions that are legislated legislators make. Because I started the campaign really in an attempt to have a good Thanksgiving dinner, I always use this trick of being like, if my mom was in this meeting, if my mom was in this group, like what would that look like? And my mom actually ended up joining. She gathered more signatures than me. She's oh, awesome. awesome. And she was like one of our top canvassers, which is also really awesome. But I genuinely felt like when I finally heard my friends and family talking about the issues, I heard so much commonality. They were concerned about the same things. And actually some of those policies like childcare and healthcare policies, there were a lot of similarities between the candidates too. And I think because I was just so excited everybody was paying attention, that really struck me. And that was the thing where I was like, no, like we keep getting distracted and not actually making progress. Like in Michigan, we had the Flint water crisis, like an entire city was poisoned and yet people are still pointing the fingers at Democrat, Republican, and it just was tired of it. And I think that feeling wasn't alone for me. Our volunteers, I think some definitely joined for political reasons. Um, another big group was a lot of people who were frustrated with that no matter who they voted for, Michigan still seemed to be lagging behind. We are one of the least transparent when it comes to transparency in government states in the country. We have a we tried to repeal the emergency manager law and then our newly gerrymandered districts legislators reinstated it, which led to the Flint water crisis. Our infrastructure, our roads are, again, I think the worst in the country. These are concerns of everyday people who get impacted by the lack of progress we make. So when we were going across Michigan, 
everybody was really, really fed up with the status quo. There's a lot of groups popping up right after the election, especially for Democrats. And I had one of our uh, Democrat volunteers come up to me and he said, you know, you know why I've continued to support this organization? And I was like, no. And he said, this is the only place, the only organization I can go to where I actually meet somebody who thinks completely differently than me on almost everything else, except when it comes to fairness and one person, one vote and wanting to end gerrymandering. He talked about how that had changed his perspective and that he was shocked that Republicans could believe in fairness. But then what's also really funny is that I'm working with Republicans up in more rural parts of Michigan who are saying the exact same things about Democrats. They're like, I can't believe that Democrats would actually want a system that has accountability with it. And I was like, for me, I, you know, know that. I have friends and family on both sides of the aisle who are really amazing people who share a lot of those values. So it was really important to people. And I think also, honestly, for a lot of women in Michigan, there's a lot of statistics, especially in different parts of Michigan, where there's like mixed families, as in one spouse votes Democrat and one spouse votes Republican. And I think that a lot of people had felt like they couldn't always use their voice and being able to actually put time and energy into things that was to try and just make things more fair was really important. Um, it wasn't easy. Uh, we definitely ran up against a lot of things, even like what campaign consultants can you hire? There are like no nonpartisan consultants. And we tried to find them though. And when we couldn't, we tried to hire a Democrat and a Republican or when we finally could afford polling, we made sure that we did two polling firms and one was Democrat and one was Republican. Our law firm had worked for more Republican legislators than Democrat. We just tried to like be as open about it as we could. We invited people. We followed our rules of transparency that were reflected in our policy too. So all of our meetings, anybody was welcome to them. Um, and we try and put as many of them like on Facebook Live as we could so that people could actually come and see what we were doing and how. You know, we weren't trying to get anybody elected. Again, when it comes to even camping coordination, there's a lot of pressure to do that or a lot of people who are trying to get you to follow their agenda. But even though it was really hard at times, especially when you haven't gotten money yet and you're trying very hard to make sure that you can survive a lawsuit and raise millions of dollars so you can put TV commercials up, we, by sticking to our values, we kept integrity with the voters and especially with our volunteers. When you looked at the results from the Republican polling firm and the Democrat polling firm, were there any significant differences? Uh, no, actually, they actually worked well together, really well together, and did focus groups together as well as designing the poll. And they found pretty similar things. I mean, when it came to the actual voters, then there were some differences, but a lot of similarities. A lot of us want politicians in office who are worried about doing a good job for their constituents and not for special interests. Or the other thing is, like, we don't like the idea of politicians being able to choose whether they want us to be their voter or not. I think we all go and vote because we think we're making that decision. And corruption, I think people, again, just see that. You had shared with me a story about two volunteers that got to know each other that kind of changed each other's perspectives a little bit. And I would love if you could tell me a little bit about those volunteers. One of actually my favorite stories, I don't think this is the one you're referring to, but we actually had three sisters that volunteered with us who normally never get along. And one was a Republican, one was a Democrat, and one was an independent. And <laughs> the- Wow. Yeah. It sounds like the start <laughs> of a book that like maybe sanity listeners would read. <laughs> Completely. And it was so cool because they had shared frustrations with 
just the election in general. And they had had their family interrupted by that. And I think actually the independent sister is the one who first found us. And then we needed another captain for circulating. And she's like, but my sister is the most organized person I know, who is the Republican. And then she dragged all three of them there. And then they were like some of our star volunteers. Another really cool example, I was canvassing up in northern Michigan and at a door of somebody and uh, the person goes, I saw you talking to my neighbor, what'd they say? And I was like, oh, they're actually in full support. And he goes, what? We do not agree on anything. And he goes out into the middle of the road and is like, goes like over to his neighbor who was uh, raking his leaves. And he was like, do you really support this? And he's like, gerrymandering is corrupt. Everybody knows that. But they had like this conversation on the street about that, which was really cool. And what's interesting too is like, you know, later on our opposition, 15 days out from the election, dropped like $4 million on out of nowhere and advertising and all of that. And you could definitely see a shift, but I think because we had kept so much integrity for over a year and a half by that point, it didn't do as much damage as it probably should have. Because a lot of people I think had had a real experience with friends and family who aren't normally even involved in the political process and seen how intentional we were and seen us get beat up for being amateurs. And I think that really had made the difference. I've worked in, on campaigns and in politics for a good chunk of my career. And, you know, you hear the word grassroots all the time, mm-hmm. but more often than not, grassroots is not really grassroots. And I think that you sought help from experts and from people, but the core of this really seems to be a truly volunteer-based thing where people could come together. One thing I'd love to ask your thoughts on is after the election, a lot of people felt like they wanted to stick their heads in the sand. I mean, the logo of sanity is an ostrich with his head in the sand, kind of, (laughs) you know, speaking to that, but in a hopefully more comical way. But there are still people today who are trying to figure out how to stay positive. But in your experiences, you know, you weren't happy about the results of the election. You wanted to do something constructive and positive, and you actually did it, and you were successful. What kind of advice do you have for people who have been feeling this way and are still trying to figure out what they can do? I think there's a couple things. We ended up having over 14,000 volunteers at their campaign, probably about 5,000 active day-to-day volunteers. That's a lot of people. What I realized is that so many people want to make the world better. And, and pretty much everybody is really frustrated with the state of politics. And those two things, I think, can complement each other. You know, if you're frustrated with things, maybe your instinct is to blame a political party. It's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. But what I saw were thousands of people who had a little sliver of hope that they could make Michigan better. And I equate that to wanting to make the world better. They were signing on to something that has no guarantees that their political party is going to benefit or not. It would actually be illegal to give an advantage to one political party over another. So something that is just good for all voters. And we don't know what the voters are going to look like in 50 years from now, but we are trusting them that with this fair process that they will vote for the right thing. I kind of think that's like the basic of what democracy is. Our volunteers were donating 30, 40 plus hours a week for two years straight of their lives to try and fight to end gerrymandering in our state. Experiencing that and seeing that and seeing just the dedication and the amount of people going above and beyond to make sure they were being nonpartisan even if they had their own political beliefs. And it really was inspiring to see that the average person, at least in Michigan, wants to make the world better. I think very few of us are actually at the the center of leading something that helps them understand how they can. 
like how we can unite over that. But I saw a lot of people who are really interested in that. Even the people who ended up not signing the petition or even voting no, like when you went and had conversations door to door, they still would listen. They still were very respectful. I think we get caught up in the buzz of politics and what's going on Capitol Hill. And we kind of apply those labels of Democrat and Republican as if those are also the voters, but they're not. Honestly, I think what the 2016 election shows, not in touch with the average person. But the average person does still want a country that supplies a good job and has clean water and provides a good quality of life. So I think making sure you give people the benefit of the doubt that they can be good and that they do want similar things and trying to seek understanding is some advice I'd give. The other thing I would say is don't come in thinking you know the answer. The smartest thing we did was constantly throw it to a big group of people having a discussion before making the next decision or doing the next thing. Like with our constitutional language, I could have very easily been like, okay, where's the you know, like highest expert we can find to tell us the best way to do this. But by taking the time to go and talk to thousands of people, we crafted a super intentional policy that was way better than something any of us on our own could have done. And when you take that time to not assume you have the best answer and you take the time to listen, I think you open up the opportunity for yourself to be listened to as well. That's applicable in politics <laughs> and in other parts of life too. We'll close up shortly, but you kind of quickly provide a top line. I don't even know if we've said this in the <laughs> podcast, but it did pass. Yay! <laughs> the there was a victory. Can you just walk us quickly through what the implementation process is and you know when this will actually go into effect? What we proposed was an independent commission that will now draw these lines. Um, and we actually made gerrymandering illegal, which is super exciting. So gerrymandering is legal right now. A government can say that they are targeting you because of the way you vote and trying to make your vote count less or more. But you can make it illegal in your state constitution. So we said you cannot provide a political advantage to either party. And the commissioners, any registered Michigan voter can apply. There's a couple disqualifications based on if you're a political insider, basically. But the application process will start January 1st of 2020. The commissioners will be selected by the end of that summer. They'll have about a year to go around the state listening to hopefully millions of Michiganders. And then the new maps will have to be drawn by 2022, which will then hopefully provide us fair, impartial, and transparent election maps uh, for the first time ever in Michigan. There are a few states that have implemented this sort of thing in the past, and I know Arizona. Yeah, Arizona was one of the first. I know that in Arizona, the people that were part of this commission that was formed there, some of them ended up experiencing death threats, and some of the reaction ended up being really difficult, and this was uncharted waters. So is there anything that you did from learning from them to kind of try to prevent that preemptively? We did a really thorough state analysis of any state that had done redistricting without politicians drawing it. There's about 12 states who have there were six states who had independent commissions in this past year ohio michigan utah colorado and missouri all passed redistricting reform one thing we learned from arizona they only had a five-person commission and also politicians helped pick who those commissioners were so it meant that there were two super partisan democrats two super partisan republicans and then a poor person stuck in the middle being an independent who was the one who did get the death threats and a lot of scrutiny 
So we found that a wider commission leads to better results. It also makes it so that one person doesn't have more influence. We're going to have four people from the majority party, four from the minority, and five independent or third party voters. We also made a rule that two of the Democrats, two of the Republicans, and two of the independents all have to agree before any map is adopted. That helps take the pressure off of only one person, but also helps make it so that you're getting compromised. California did that. In California, the Republicans were being overly gerrymandered. Look, uh, California is a progressive state. There are about 30 30% of the people who live there who are Republicans, but they had even less representation than that in their Senate. In Michigan, while we were passing this, there's a lawsuit against the current set of maps. And these emails came out where some of the legislators called some of the voters garbage. Like literally were like, we need to shove that garbage into one district. When you are talking about human beings that you're supposed to be representing, who their tax dollars pay for you to have a job, like you probably shouldn't talk about them that way. By having it transparent in real time, you can actually hold those commissioners accountable in that way too. You did your homework. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Every single word of our eight page thing is very intentional. A couple of real quick questions before we close. The first is celebrated Thanksgiving 2018. And <laughs> what was that one like? It was really cool. Um, when I say my family was politically divided, I was the only person who didn't vote for Donald Trump. My siblings all had a yard sign for the campaign in their yard. Everybody signed the petition and everybody voted, or they at least told me that they voted yes on Proposal 2 in Michigan. And I had never felt closer to my family than in that. The amount of support that we showed each other and the way that like, I think especially because everybody saw how hard I was working, but then they also helped. Like my mom was working super hard too. And to see that was really cool. And it was like probably the best Thanksgiving we've had. And I think there's just like a lot of respect more around politics now. Um, and I think it's also because we campaigned together, but also because we took the time to figure out that we do have similarities too. When before, I think it was just really easy not to. That's really special. Yeah. That's, really, that's really cool. And I've got to note that you were balancing a day job while you were doing all of this. <laughs> we haven't said that yet. And I think that's, that's worth noting. <laughs> well, final question, uh, which I ask every guest that's joined Sanity is, what are you most optimistic about right now today? I'm most optimistic about the future of politics. The really cool thing that happened by accidentally starting a campaign with a Facebook post is it lets a lot of other people realize that all the things that they've been worried about and really wanting to do something about, maybe they could actually do something about it. I met a guy in Colorado at a conference who was like, hey, you're, are you Katie Fahey from Michigan? I was like, yeah. And he said, oh, I, I'm one of your donors. And I was like, oh my gosh, cool. Where are you from? I'm from Grand Rapids. And he said, I don't know what that means. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm not from Michigan. And I was like, oh. Why are you a donor? And he had read about us in the New York Times. He said, if some 20 something could get a bunch of people in Michigan to care about gerrymandering, then I can get off my butt and do something that I've always cared about. And he actually decided to run as an independent in New Mexico for a local house seat, all because he had seen that there were other regular people doing stuff, which is just really powerful. And there are volunteers from our campaign who now are starting their own campaigns. Hugh McNichol in Michigan is trying to do a ranked choice voting campaign. We had over seven people leave the campaign to run for local office for like school board and county commissioner and a lot of them won and it was all because they saw that all the things that are built up in our heads that you have to look a certain way or have so much money or have the connections was kind of dismissed because we were able to break through a lot of that 
maybe not even breakthrough, but we just kind of said, screw it, we're gonna try anyways. And I'm really excited too, to hopefully pay it forward to help whoever else does wanna go work on their initiative in their community. We're doing work that Sanity is all about. Thank you for your time and thanks for hosting me in the living room. <laughs> thanks for having me and thanks to all the listeners too.